Today on Blue 58, the draft is done. Free agency is over. Undrafted free agency? Well, we already did a podcast about that. The Packers pretty much are what they're going to be at this point. So what are they? Blue 58! Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast to thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Muirdink. Happy to be with you here for another episode. I figured today we needed to kind of take on something pretty big. And I think that while more people seem to be coming around to this idea, it still is not widely understood or accepted that once the draft is over, teams are pretty much set. Teams pretty much are what they're going to be for the upcoming season. At this point, there's pretty much no free agent free agent movement. There aren't a lot of free agent signings, even if there are, that make a whole heck of a lot of difference at this point. These are the rosters that teams are going to take into the 2019 season. And I would wager a pretty solid guess that the Packers have a pretty good idea who their final 53-man roster is going to be. We did a podcast not that long ago predicting the roster, and really there's like six to eight spots that are even competitive on this roster right now. More or less, the Packers know what they got, and I bet that's pretty much the case throughout most of the rest of the league as well, except maybe New York. Dave Gettleman doesn't really seem like he ever really knows what he's got or what he's doing. So I figured what we should do is take a position-by-position look at the Packers, what they have, who's come on board that may change things, and what the biggest question is going forward. Most of these questions are not going to be about who makes the roster, because again, I feel like we've got a pretty good idea there. It'll come down to things like whether the Packers keep nine linemen on offense, or eight, or ten, and where a couple of those bottom-of-the-depth chart guys end up. It's more resource allocation than guys you like. And injuries could play into that a little bit too. So let's start with quarterbacks and work through this entire roster and see where the Packers are right now. Sound good? Good. Quarterbacks, what have we got right now? Well, I think the Packers have one guy and a lot of question marks. And even that one guy has a lot of questions. We're talking, of course, about Aaron Rodgers, who has sustained pretty significant injuries each of the last two seasons. It really hasn't been since the end of 2016, the the run-the-table run, that we've seen a fully operational Aaron Rodgers. It's been a while. So the Packers, even all the way to the top of the depth chart, have some questions at quarterback. Some of those questions are going to be answered pretty quickly. Some, we hope, never get answered at any point this season. That's most of those questions relating to the backup quarterbacks. The notable newcomers are Manny Wilkins and Taylor Cornelius. We talked about them in our undrafted free agent episode, so we won't belabor the point here. But in short, two athletic backup quarterback types who are going to make this group a little more interesting than it might otherwise have been heading into training camp. My biggest question for the quarterbacks is how wide open is the quarterback group really? The Packers have Deshaun Kaiser, who they traded for. They have Tim Boyle, who did pretty well in training camp last year. And then they've got these two new rookie guys. To me, it seems like it's pretty wide open. Potentially the most wide open it's been since probably the 2013 training camp or so. 2012, perhaps, as well. In 2013, the Packers went into training camp with Graham Harrell, B.J. Coleman, and eventually even Vince Young. And none of them could really get the job done. 
So all of the backup quarterbacks ended up getting cut at the end of training camp. The Packers brought in Seneca Wallace. And we know how the 2013 season played out. Wasn't great from a quarterback perspective. And it could have been entirely different had the Packers had a, well, a little bit more well-defined backup quarterback sort of situation. I don't think there are a lot of those throughout the NFL. And I think the idea of having a really like super reliable backup quarterback is probably a bit of a pipe dream. There just aren't a lot of guys out there. If they were good enough to be a super reliable backup, they'd probably be getting a shot at being a starting quarterback somewhere. Even look at the Kansas City Chiefs a couple of years ago. They had an opportunity to transition from Alex Smith to Patrick Mahomes while keeping Smith around, but instead they chose to, to trade Smith instead of keeping the guy around who could have been like the epitome of reliable backup to your rising star guy that you really wanted to be the starter. They decided to move on because teams want those starting quarterback options. That is probably the case here in Green Bay. If there was a guy who deserved to be the undisputed backup quarterback, we'd probably know for sure, and we'd probably be getting calls from other teams about that guy. The Packers would. But now, we don't really have anything. And we'll need to see what the Packers think of these guys. And we'll know pretty quick because they're not going to carry five or even four quarterbacks for very long, you would imagine. We'll see how this battle plays out pretty quickly. Moving right along, running backs and we'll group fullbacks in here too. What have we got? We've got a potential star in Aaron Jones, a reliable table setter type in Jamal Williams, a rookie and then kind of just some spare parts from around the league. The most notable newcomer is Dexter Williams, the sixth-round draft pick. The biggest question, though, in this group, I guess, is, is twofold. First, how does scheme factor into how these running backs perform? Which we can't really answer until we see it in, in, in action, but it will be significant. But then, what does Matt LaFleur think of fullbacks? I was thinking about this after the draft, after we found out what numbers these guys were going to get, because Dexter Williams is wearing number 22, which hasn't been worn by a really terribly notable Packers player since Aaron Ripkowski, who was cut last year. And the Packers really didn't have a true fullback for most of last season until Danny Vitale came along. And Vitale, well, didn't get a, a whole lot of opportunities to do real fullback type things. What does Matt LaFleur think of the position, though? Because until very late in his Packers tenure, Mike McCarthy was one of the few coaches in the league who really used a fullback with any sort of regularity. It'll be interesting to see what the Packers end up doing with fullback this year, if anything at all. And if that's the biggest question, and it's not really, facing a position group, but it's right up there, related to the scheme question, you're probably in pretty good shape. And I think the Packers are in pretty good shape at running back. Tight end, what have we got? Well, we've got some old dudes who can't really anymore and some young dudes who can't yet. That's an exaggeration, of course, but not by much. Jimmy Graham wasn't great last year. Mercedes Lewis didn't get on the field all that much. So you wonder what you even have there. And then you've got Robert Tanyan and Jay Sternberger. Sternberger, of course, is the notable newcomer here because he's really the only newcomer to this position group. What is his role going to be in 2019? Who really knows? But it kind of seems like whatever you get from Jay Sternberger is good. 
that seems like a bonus because you're not going to count on him to be one of your starting tight ends. Not even probably your number two guy. Whatever you really get from him is probably a bonus. He'll need to contribute some on special teams, but it doesn't really matter what his role is this year. They can just kind of make a small little role for him and see what he does. Next year is when things are really going to come together for him. The biggest question, though, for me is what can Jimmy Graham give the Packers, if anything, in Matt LaFleur's system? We've talked and talked and talked about how Matt LaFleur loves more blocking-type tight ends, and Jimmy Graham is not that kind of player. He's not much of a blocker at all. You don't expect tight ends to block like offensive linemen, but he's not even a good blocker for a poor blocking tight end. What, then, is Jimmy Graham's role in this offense? I don't know, and it's going to take some time until we find out. Wide receiver. What have the Packers got here? Well, they've got a borderline probable, in fact, superstar, and then a bunch of trees. And I just mean trees like in the, the most loving sense. Like you talk about a group of young basketball players that are real tall. They're just a bunch of trees out there. That's what the Packers have. A bunch of real tall, young wide receivers. The notable newcomer to the wide receiver group is nobody. I mean, we talked about Matthew Eaton, the undrafted free agent, but I mean, that's hardly notable. And if anybody's really thinking he's going to unseat enough people to make his way to the 53-man roster, even the practice squad, I don't know, man. That seems like an uphill battle. The biggest question then is, can everybody the Packers had and still have take another step? And really, that's everybody other than Devontae Adams. You've got Geronimo Allison, who was out for most of last year with an injury, but the Packers bring back. You've got all the second-year guys, the draft picks, Jermon Moore, Marquez Valdez-Scantling, Equinemia St. Brown, and don't forget about Alan Lazard. And then you've got Jake Kumaro, who's, I don't even know what number he's at in terms of, you know, yearly experience in the NFL. Where, how do you count how long he's been around? He's been bouncing around for so long. But in his second year with the Packers, can he take a step forward? That is an interesting question, and it's going to have a, a big impact on the Packers' offense. Offensive line, what do we have here? We've got a solid front line, I think, when you look at the Packers. Everybody across the board, the starters, you feel fairly good about. Lane Taylor, sure, 2018 wasn't what you would have expected from him. But he was dealing with injury, and you know, all things considered, you feel okay going in with him. He's at least a known commodity. Billy Turner, you wouldn't have given him, given him all that money if you didn't think you had something there. But beyond that, you have some pretty untested depth. And that's why I think notable newcomer Elton Jenkins is so important. I think there's a case to be made that he could determine what happens with Lane Taylor, Billy Turner, Brian Bulaga, and even Corey Lindsley in the next couple of years. Think about this. Say the Packers really like what they got from Jenkins at guard in training camp, and they see some stuff out of Cole Madison too. You feel super great about keeping Lane Taylor around? You could save a little bit of money if you moved on. If Jenkins is also real solid at guard, maybe that makes you a little bit more comfortable moving Billy Turner out to tackle if Brian Bulaga moves on to greener pastures at some point in the next couple of years. And say Elton Jenkins goes back to his more natural position and plays center. Corey Lindsley is going to be the sixth highest paid center in the league in 2020. He's going to make $10.5 million, or count $10.5 million against the cap. 
but he would only count $2 million against the cap if the Packers decided to move on. Is he the best fit for an outside zone, wide zone type system? I can't answer that question, but I think it's an interesting interesting hypothetical. A guy who has a lot of tread or, or I guess a lot of wear and tear on the tires there, to mix those metaphors, going to be 29 next year, going to be expensive. You at least got to think about it, right? I'm not saying they should or will, but it's probably at least a conversation. If Jenkins proves that he can be a starting caliber offensive lineman at guard or even center, there's a lot of different things that could happen here. The biggest question, though, in 2019 for this offensive line group is what happens if a starter gets injured? I think it's fair to say you've got questions out on the number two guy at every single spot. At left tackle, you don't know who the backup behind David Bakhtiari is. Nominally, it's probably Jason Spriggs. Do you feel great about that? I don't. Left guard, as we've said, you're not super sold on the starter there right now, though you do feel relatively comfortable with Lane Taylor. But who's the top backup there? At center, been harping on backup center for like three years now, and it's still the same. Elton Jenkins probably, but what do you know about what he can do at the NFL level? Nothing. Right guard, same thing. And right tackle, we're back to Jason Spriggs. A lot of questions there. What happens if somebody gets injured? The defensive line, we've got athletes for days. This is probably the most interesting defensive line group we've seen in in quite a while. And the Packers have had some good defensive line groups going back two or three years now. The notable newcomer fits that profile very well. Kingsley Kiki. Kiki. Kike. I've heard it so many different ways over the past couple weeks, and it's been really interesting listening to everybody try to pronounce it as they go through the Packers draft picks. But he's kind of... The, the standard bearer for this new sort of philosophy the Packers have embraced over the past couple years. No more worrying about defensive ends, defensive tackles. We're just going to get linemen. They're going to be big. They're going to be long. They're going to be strong. They're going to be fast. And they're going to play everywhere on the defensive line. And this is probably the most perfect example that they have. Kiki can play end, tackle, whatever you need him to do along the defensive line, and he did it in college and added and dropped weight to do it. I'm still not sold on that being a great idea, but he fits in with the Packers' philosophy for sure. The biggest question, though, is what is Mike Daniels' role? I'm not sure I buy the trade Mike Daniels proposition that's been getting kicked around on Packers' internet the last few days. I think if you were hoping for value on that, the time to trade Mike Daniels was probably a year ago. And there was really no reason to trade him a year ago. But even if you're not trading him, I think it's fair to say that Mike Daniel certainly is different athletically than every other defensive lineman the Packers have. Different physically than every other Packers defensive lineman. He's older and he's more expensive. Each of those things, he is different than everybody else. He's not really a sore thumb because he's not really a sore spot for the Packers, but it's different. And different is always worth asking questions about. So what is Mike Daniels' role? He's not the long, multi-position sort of guy. Pretty much just a pass rush type at this point. And he's not even one that's super durable anymore. What do you do with Mike Daniels? If there's anybody I trust to answer that question, it's probably Mike Pettin. But still, it's a question nonetheless. 
edge rushers have kind of developed or broken off into their own position as the Packers have developed the group this offseason. What have the Packers got? Well, for the first time in a long time, options. That was always the goal, to get options at edge rusher, specifically across from Clay Matthews, and the Packers never really landed on anything there. Of all the new guys the Packers have added on the edge, to me, the most notable newcomer is Preston Smith. In 2019, 2020 and beyond, hopefully it's Rashawn Gary. But for this year, Preston Smith is the guy I think seems like the closest to a sure thing. He may never be a big sack numbers guy, but he just seems so consistent and so steady. He seems like the kind of guy that's going to play 80% of the defensive snaps every week, and you'll just know exactly what you're going to get from him all the time. And that is a great thing to have as a defensive coordinator. But Smith plays into my biggest question for the edge rusher group. Can they get individual pressure? None of the guys they have really are the sort that win one-on-one pass rushing battles. Presumably, that's what you'd think you'd draft Rashawn Gary to do, but that's not really the book on him coming out of Michigan. And it wasn't really what Zedaria Smith or Preston Smith or even Kyler Fackrell did. I'm not sure it ultimately matters if they get individual pressure, but I think you would like to have guys that are going to win one-on-one as opposed to not, right? I would rather the Packers be able to just beat the guy across from them than have to scheme up five sacks for Blake Martinez in 2019. Whether or not the Packers can win those individual battles is, is an interesting story to follow. And again, if I can trust any defensive coordinator or any guy that the Packers have had in the relatively recent past to figure out how you put guys in positions to win those one-on-ones, it's Mike Pettin. But it remains to be seen whether or not the Packers can do it. Corners, safeties, and special teams. Three to go here. Corners, what have we got? Well, pretty much the exact same group as last year. Such that the most notable newcomer is Kadar Holman, the sixth round pick. If you were one of the people who thought the Packers needed to bring back Bashad Breeland, we're more or less at step three of your nightmare scenario. Step one is you don't bring back Bashad Breeland. Step two is you don't sign any free agent cornerbacks. Step three is you don't draft any high-level draft picks at corner. Step four, Josh Jackson doesn't take a step after a up-and-down, to say the least, rookie season. And then step five, somebody gets hurt. And suddenly you're counting on Tremont Williams to play significant snaps at corner at age like 46 or whatever he is now. The Packers are putting a lot of eggs in their cornerback basket. And they're putting a lot... (laughs) That cornerback basket is pretty much exactly the same as it was in December. The biggest question, therefore, is whether or not the Packers can count on Kevin King and Josh Jackson. I still will do my darndest to defend the decision to trade back and take Kevin King. But it's getting hard. Man, it's getting hard. Kevin King has all the gifts in the world, but he hasn't been able to stay healthy. Josh Jackson, meanwhile, has been healthy enough, but can't seem to figure it out on the field. Kind of two sides of a similar coin. 
The Packers need at least one of those guys to really figure it out this year. Or they're going to be counting on Tremont Williams and Tony Brown to settle down their cornerback group. That's probably not ideal. Safety, what have we got here? A completely different safety group than a year ago. I remember significant parts of the 2018 offseason when we were wondering whether or not it was a good idea to figure out how to bring in Morgan Burnett or whether or not you should. And then spending a lot of the offseason talking about Eric Reed or other safeties with relatively recognizable names, Kenny Vaccaro. Now, none of that. Because the Packers have done about everything they could to bring in a different safety group for 2019. The most notable newcomer is Adrian Amos. And as exciting as Darnell Savage is, I think we can't forget about one of the crown jewels of the Packers' free agent class. Savage is phenomenally exciting. He would be a guy that you'd be looking for every single play if you drafted a guy with his skill set in Madden. And I realize I go to the Madden well a lot for analogies, but I think it's it encapsulates a lot of how we think about the game. He is an exciting player. He runs fast. He hits hard. You'd be expecting him to take four picks back to the house in your franchise mode every season at least just because he's so fast. But Amos is exciting because we know he can do it at the NFL level. He was successful in Chicago. Not so much early in his career, but he really grew into a regular contributor. And Vic Fangio trusted him a lot in that secondary. Whether or not he can do it in Green Bay is still an open question, of course. But I think Amos is the most notable newcomer, and we can't let the excitement about Darnell Savage take away from that. The biggest question, though, is Josh Jones. Not anything in particular about him, just kind of the entirety of the Josh Jones experience is still a question. I was looking back through every article we've written for thepowersweep.com, dating back to when we launched in summer of 2016 for a project I'm working on here. And we have written like the same thing about Josh Jones like three or four different times. At least twice we've written, if not now, when for Josh Jones. And in lieu of writing that column one more time, here it is again. If Josh Jones doesn't show it in training camp this year, why keep him around? If not now, when? And if not safety, not a starting safety, much less, what is he? Is he that hybrid safety linebacker type? Perhaps. Probably, I guess. But he hasn't really shown with any regularity that he can do that. Do you really trust him to? I'm not sure I do. Skipped over inside linebackers. Let's circle back to linebackers just for a second, then we'll talk special teams real quick. Inside linebackers. What have we got? Well, we've got the very reliable Blake Martinez, who I feel like we should just change his name to that. Just call him the very reliable Blake Martinez. And then a bunch of hybrid types and a seventh round draft pick. I say a bunch of hybrid types. It's not really a lot. It's Oren Burks and Josh Jones, if you group him in there. But as far as notable newcomers, there isn't a whole lot to talk about at inside linebacker. The biggest question, therefore, since there isn't a a real notable newcomer type guy, 
is whether or not Oren Burks can take a step last year he, or ne- this year. Last year, he was the guy I thought who was really going to be a, a difference maker in the Packers' defense. Jair Alexander, sure, but the Packers have been, well, I need to rephrase that already. Packers fans have all have been asking for a reliable, exciting inside linebacker type for a long time. Dating back to before Jake Ryan was drafted. The Packers front office has said, "Mm, not so much, not super worried about that in that span. And now we're still here waiting again for a guy to step up and really be a difference maker. Blake Martinez is excellent at doing, well, in, in a lot of ways, he's a lot like Jamal Williams. He does everything you ask of him and very little more. He's not a guy that teams seem to be game planning around. And I always feel like I have to say that I don't dislike Blake Martinez. It's just that he's not like a, to use the real super, I write about sports term, he's not a field tilter. He doesn't really alter your opponent's plans. And it seems like the Packers could really use a guy like that in the middle of their defense. Special teams, then we're out of here. What have we got? I think among their specialists, the Packers have a veteran who's soaking up all the questions about other guys who need to have questions asked about them. I'm talking, of course, about Mason Crosby, who you may have heard was not great last season. But Hunter Bradley and J.K. Scott weren't exactly dynamite either. And it feels like Mason Crosby is distracting us from some up and down seasons from the two rookies from last year's draft class. The notable newcomer here is Sam Ficken, which ties into the big question for the special teams group. As much as we can go back and forth on questions about Hunter Bradley and J.K. Scott, and those questions I think need to be asked, the biggest question for the specialists is how real is this kicking competition? Is this a let's see if we can light a fire under Mason Crosby type situation, or is it an let's actually try to find the best kicker we can situation? Because that's going to affect how this thing plays out in a huge way. The last time we did something like this, the last time Mason Crosby got significantly tested, I think it was more the former. Because he wasn't great the last time we did this kicking competition type thing in the preseason. But they stuck with him anyway, and he did straighten things out. So if that's the case, again, Sam Ficken may as well pack it in right now. Sure, he gets a chance to hang around an NFL training camp for a while, but if the Packers have already made up his mind, he might as well focus on just putting good stuff on tape for other people who might offer him a job. But if the Packers are really serious about trying to find a replacement or trying to find a new kicker, that's going to have big-time effects on how this thing plays out, who gets opportunities and when. And I think we'll know pretty quickly what situation we're looking at here. Thanks so much for listening. That's all I've got for you on this episode. I do appreciate you taking the time to download and tune in. If you liked what you heard and want to help us keep it going, the best way to support us is to go to iTunes, go to the podcast app, leave us a review and a rating. It helps more people find the show. For other ways to support, check out the support page at thepowersweep.com. 
among them donating to our Patreon camp- campaign or buying one of our fine t-shirts and sweatshirts from teespring.com. If you've got an idea for the show or just want to say hi, don't hesitate to reach out on Facebook, on Twitter, or through the contact page at thepowersweep.com. As always, every bit of feedback you give us helps us make this entire operation better and helps us make everybody into smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.